You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Douglas Carlton Abrams was an editor at HarperCollins, and he's now a literary agent. His new novel is The Lost Diary of Don Juan. Thank you for joining me. You're so welcome. Doug, what made you decide to write this book? There have been a lot of treatments of this character. Uh, What made you decide that you were going to take out and go after him yourself? It's a great question because um, since Don Juan burst onto the stage, Early in the 17th century, there have been hundreds of portrayals of Don Juan. And so you might say it was quite arrogant to think that I could add something to uh, treatments such as uh, Don Giovanni by Mozart and other grades. And I think if it had been a conscious decision, I don't think I would have been so bold. But I, it wasn't a conscious decision. I went to bed one night asking myself a question that countless men and women ask themselves every day, which is how I can stay, or how in their case they can stay happily and passionately married to one person for the rest of their lives. And I went to bed with that question, and the next morning it was as if I had been shaken. And I awoke, and the first thought was of Don Juan. And what would cause the world's greatest seducer to become the world's, truly become the world's greatest lover, to really commit himself to one person? And I got out of bed, and I my, left my wife's warm sleeping body, padded past the bedrooms of my three sleeping children, sat down on the dining room table, and it was literally like a voice was whispering in my ear, I write in the naked pages of this diary. And over the course of the next month, the entire first draft of the novel birthed itself through me. And... Um, it, uh, it was quite a literary enchantment like I had never experienced. I've been writing fiction for 29 years, and I had never experienced anything like it. Um, but even the honeymoon ends even with the muse. And uh, after that first draft, I spent uh, over four years uh, researching and writing and revising and trying to do justice to Don Juan's uh, story. You know, for a lot of people, and myself included, Don Juan is more like an epithet you throw at somebody who's yes. got like a Lothario. <laughs> tell us who the real Don Juan is and why he's important. And an epithet and an epithet. I like that. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, obviously most people know Don Juan as just kind of, uh, kind of a, a comment you might make to you know, some callous seducer. And um, many of the portrayals of Don Juan, in fact, the first portrayal was of a kind of, um, not even a playboy, but a kind of joker who was duping women and who was um, just very callous and ultimately gets punished by being dragged down to hell. And I felt like um, I I knew that any, um, I have been a student of the world's sensual wisdom and knew that anybody who was really worthy of the the reputation of being the world's greatest seducer or lover uh, would have to know something about women and really understand their needs and longings. And so The Lost Diary of Don Juan offers us the inside understanding of what a man who devotes himself to passion and love might actually have been. And uh, in, surprisingly, in all these incredible number of tales, nobody's actually attempted to write his own first-person account of his life. 
That is surprising. Now, there was a, a real historical Don Juan, wasn't there? Well, it's a great question because uh, that's uh, still a debate. Most scholars would say that uh, he was just a fictional creation, but even when the first play about Don Juan was, was written in the uh, early 1620s, um, w- there was rumor that it was based on a real man. And as I was researching the novel, I found just some incredible facts about Sevilla at this time. This was Seville, Spain, where he either lived or the the myth was born, and it was a time when all of the gold from the Americas was pouring into this one city. It was a time of amazing decadence, but it was a time when this whole city was emptied of men because they were off in the New World in the Americas colonizing or fighting in wars. So there were these galantiadors, these actual seducers who were semi-professionals. It was a seller's market, and uh, they were, you know, really, uh, they did exist, and there were rumors even at the time that this, this story was based on a real man. And then I encountered a scholar in the 1800s who said that it was uh, that Don Juan had existed and that something quite dramatic had happened in him, to him in the Convento de San Francisco. And so as I went back to Spain and researched, my goal was to kind of exhume uh, who the real man might have been and uh, the myth that might be still worthy of knowing today. Where did you do your research? Where did you get your facts? And what, did you encounter any primary sources? Yeah, well, I, I looked at you know the, the 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 statistic that I was mentioning earlier about uh, the emptying of the city. Um, half I looked at uh, census data from the time, and half of um, some neighborhoods were literally. Um, populated by abandoned or widowed women, and the whole city was, um, there were uh, 30% of the entire city were widowed and abandoned. So that gives you some sense. But I did my research. I actually went to Spain and spent uh, quite a bit of time in Sevilla, Spain, in the city of Seville, Spain, uh, an amazing and and magical place, and and chasing the ghost of Don Juan through the cities with guides that I hired there who, you know, were just extraordinary, and um, I would, you know, try to figure out, you know, how you picked a lock in the 16th century, and I um, actually learned Spanish sword fighting and some Spanish dance lessons, and even lay, lay on an actual rack. So, um, you know, nothing is too great a sacrifice for literature. Uh, could you talk about when you're creating the plot from this and weaving it into and out of actual history, yeah. could you talk about choosing real events to pepper your timeline and integrating them with the events that you need to move your plot forward? It's a, it's a, it's a great question. It's a huge challenge for anyone who's writing a historical work. Um, the, in my case, you know, it was doubly challenging because it was historical and mythic. I had to kind of work within the myth as well as within the history. Um, but as I was researching the book over the course of those uh, four-plus years, it was amazing. It was like I was um, going down all the right alleyways of history, um, and everything convinced me quite clearly that this story had to take place in 1593 in this place at this time. It was this incredible collision of civilizations of the Spanish Renaissance and the Counter-Reformation. It was the time right after, right before the, the, the myth came into being, and uh, it just uh, convinced me that there was really that I needed to weave it into that part of history. And actually, some of the characters in the story are actual um, historical characters. Now, this book is about the world's greatest lover. Yes. And that means that you're going to have a significant erotic content. Yeah. But you're not writing a novel that's meant to be erotica. Right. Could you talk about 
writing a novel that incorporates a lot of erotic content yeah. for mainstream readers. Yeah, it's a, it was, it's a great challenge. I've heard lots of um, writers say that the hardest thing to write is uh, love scenes. Um, they're just the most challenging. And um, I think what, um, what most writers uh, forget is that what's most interesting about uh, sex is actually not the physiology. It's not what part of the body is doing what to what part of the body. It's everything else. It's all about the emotion. It's about the sensuality. It's about, um, you know, so much more than what we uh, have come to see as kind of clinical sexology and that our erotic novels and our pornographic novels, you know, to we could have a whole interview about the difference between those two. Um, but... Um, Basically, one is targeted towards men and one targeted towards women. <laughs> so, um, but there is, there is a re the real challenge, and I was helped by the fact that this was a historical because the language lends itself to something much more than a kind of 21st century clinical uh, portrayal of um, sexuality. And as a, a love story set in history, could you talk about creating characters set in history that are interesting to people in here in the 21st century? Yeah, absolutely. The, um, so the novel is an adventure love story and historical thriller. And um, one of the greatest challenges was to create a character that was true to the 16th century, a Don Juan that was true to the 16th century, but also relevant to the 21st century. And um, what I discovered is that um, while much has changed in our minds over the last centuries, very little has changed in our hearts and even less has changed in our bodies. Um, so as I was exhuming him bodily as well as emotionally, so much of that is relevant to the realities of men and women today. Um, so that was, um, that was quite a challenge, but it was a joy too. Um, now, once you finish this book, you, you were you a literary agent when you finished this book? What what were you doing at the time? Yeah, well, I had, uh, as you mentioned, I had been an editor at HarperCollins, and then I set up a literary agency uh, to work uh, with just uh, some uh, visionary authors whose work I thought would bring a contribute to a wiser, healthier, and more just world, and have had the privilege to work with some incredible people like Archbishop Desmond Tutu and BKS Iyengar and scientists such as our own local <clears throat> Joel Premack and Nancy Abrams. Um, so I was doing that. That was my day job. And, um, you know, I've been writing fiction since I was 11 years old. Uh, so I've been uh, banging my head against the wall for a long time. And, um, you know, I was... Um, but I was kind of writing in the evenings and, and the afternoons as, uh, and, and the weekends, rather, as uh, so many writers do. And um, I don't actually agent fiction. I only agent nonfiction. And um, I think it would have been too close to agent fiction and try to write fiction. So the um, nonfiction that I agent feeds my my mind and allows and feeds the fiction, but it's quite different than the writing of the fiction. Well, now... You're going to be talking tonight about helping writers get into getting published and get into the writing business. So yeah. tell us a little bit about how you started in the biz and, and got yourself to be an editor for HarperCollins. That's a that's a big deal. Yeah, well, I um, I think honestly, if I can tell you a secret, um, I um, I always really I really always wanted to work uh, as a be a novelist and. Um, 
ultimately also wanted to work with authors. I just was interested in being on the writing side. But I really wanted to understand uh, the belly of the beast. I wanted to understand how publishing works. Um, and so, I, and when I was in it, I fell in love with it. I really enjoyed being a book editor, uh, first at the University of California Press and then at Harper Collins. And, um, you know, I, it was kind of an apprenticeship as I learned the business. And, um, you know, I'm, I think there's a lot that I learned from being on the inside that has helped me on being on the outside um, in terms of, the, you know, the, what kind of agent to look for in terms of uh, the whole writing process itself, what's expected of writers, um, how to write, um, you know, how to revise, how to edit, all of, all of the things that I think are, are extremely valuable and important for, for writers to know. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate to be here at um, the Capitola Book Cafe tonight to talk about this and, um, and look forward to sharing some of those thoughts with you and, and um, with our local community because I think we have a great community of writers here uh, in the greater Santa Cruz Monterey area and um, I think uh, we need our prime time too. Well, okay. So let's say you've got an idea for a book, a novel. Yeah. Um, how would you, as a guy who's actually written a novel and sold it, recommend that somebody who's just sitting there with an idea, and there's lots of people with ideas, yeah. start to turn that into a novel? Well, I, I think uh, the first thing uh, to ask yourself really is why you want to write a novel. Um, why, what is it that is compelling you? Because it's a hard way to make a living. You know, that's a really challenging. Uh, there are a lot of easier things that you can do than be a novelist. And so I think it all starts with passion. I mean, it's not uh, perhaps uh, co coincidental that we're talking about Don Juan as well, but it's really about a deep, passionate desire to share something with others. Um, and that can either be because you have an answer to something that you want people to know about, uh, writing in writing we often talk about a premise something that you're proving in the fictional world you know something like love survives even death Romeo and Juliet um, so you have something you want to show greed leads to destruction and so you write a novel that shows that um, in this case um, I wrote out of a question rather than as an, with an answer and I actually think that that's a, an even more powerful place to write from which is something that you deeply want to understand and know about and you want to create a fictional world in which you can explore that question um, it's an amazing laboratory for life and I think you know one of the reasons we write is to taste life twice it's an opportunity to kind of reflect on everything that that we are experiencing, but one has to, you know, throw oneself open to what that does to us, um, because when we really open ourselves up to that level of, of self-exploration and vulnerability, we have to be willing to change as a result. Okay. Well, now, um, you talked about the way you wrote the Don Juan. You yeah. just sat down in a month and wrote it. Right. Um, now, a lot of people would say. Um, maybe think that you'd want to set up an outline and try yeah. to understand where you go. And other writers I've talked to just sit down and start at the beginning and go to the end. Could yeah. you talk about those two methods? And if you're never written before, exploring which one is going to work for you? Well, um, there are blank pagers and outliners. They're very different. I'm, my, what I would say is if you're not sure what you are and if you don't have Stephen King's of genius to sit down and write at a blank page, 
I would strongly recommend taking the outline uh, process. I, um, the fact that um, I didn't work from an outline uh, meant that it was incredibly more challenging to write this book. Um, I mean, I think it was a gift in some ways, and that was marvelous, but I don't want to mislead anyone that, um, you know, those uh, four and a half years after the literary enchantment weren't, weren't hard uh, a marriage with a muse, and they were. And um, for my second novel, um, I will, uh, you know, I've I spent actually about a year working just on the plot synopsis, and it's a much more complicated story. But the, um, I think it's much more advantageous to work with a strong sense of where the story is going before you actually spend your time crafting language. Now, uh, talking about crafting language, it you talked about again a month to write the novel and four years to rewrite it right exactly talk about rewriting how do you do it and how do you get feedback and who do you get feedback from uh also an important question um i say you need to pay to play which um by which i mean that um most people think that they write something and then they send it into a literary agent and the literary agent's going to give them feedback or tell them what they think it should, they should do with it and, um, or that an editor will. But ultimately, an agent's just primarily in it, present company excluded. But at present, they look at every manuscript and they say, you know, can I make money from this? Can I sell this? And they don't have time to give intensive critical feedback um, in the, at the level that authors really need. You know, I think that one of the misperceptions we have is that authors are the gods of their fictional universe. Um, and it's not really true. I mean, the, the, these characters live and breathe according to the, the laws of human nature. And um, we need to explore with others um, whether we have, have understood our characters fully. And other deep readers um, can give us some incredibly valuable feedback. So I relied on professional editors that I hired. Um, I relied on plot consultants, um, actually Hollywood script consultants, um, people who could give me the kind of hard feedback of where the story was or was not working. Um, you know, some of that has actually paid off in the, we just optioned the movie rights this past week uh, to the book, which was Congratulations. Great. Thank you. That was, it was great. And, um, but it's, there's a whole conversation we can have about the importance of story uh, and the relationship to movies and books, which is um, something that I think is incredibly important for writers to understand. Um, but to your, to your specific point, I think that, that uh, writers really should avail themselves of professional help. Um, writing groups are great, um, but you gotta make sure you're in a, a ruthless writing group. It can't be a writing group of kind of mutually supportive pats on the back. It has to be people who really will tell you where the story's not working. And friends are, are great, but they're in very limited ways. The only real value I think friends have to offer us and I have a lot of friends who are actually professional editors, <laughs> but because they're my friends, the only things I ask them is, you know, where the story bogs down or where it's not working or where they, they don't believe the characters. I don't, because friends just are, because they're our friends, are not going to tell us the, the kind of the truth that they need to tell us, the raw truth about uh, how to get our, help us get our stories to where they need to be. Where do we find these uh, editing professionals, and how much can we expect to pay them? 
Well, um, there's a wonderful uh, website called PublishersMarketplace.com, uh, which is an industry website which lists lots of uh, developmental editors, which is what you're wanting. You're not wanting a copy editor. You're wanting somebody who's going to actually developmentally edit your story. Um, and you can find on that website lots of people who edit fiction. And in that case, the uh, the the price it, it varies it depends but it, it can be uh, expensive it can be a thousand two thousand um, dollars I have found that script consultants often are uh, quite a bit less um, and in that case um, the value the value of um, working with people who work in Hollywood is you know and I say this as a publishing professional but most of the time editors tell you where things are not working but they rarely tell you where how to fix it Whereas one of the things I've so appreciated of working with uh, people who work in a much more collaborative medium like film is, you know, they'll say, well, what if he takes a left instead of a right? And, you know, they'll give you, you know, once you're in a hole in, in your novel and there's a problem with the plot, they might help you figure it out. And that's, that's really valuable. You talked about the importance of story and the yeah. relationship between screenplays and novels. And it, there seems there's a kind of a distillation. Yeah. Talk about that distillation and the importance of story and how you figure out when it's working. Yeah. Well, the um, I think that uh, one of the things that um, have – I went to a wonderful writing program at Stanford University, and um, I joke that everything I learned there was wrong. Um, and that's because um, – that was an expensive, uh, expensive education to – to, to, to have uh, those kind of errors in. Um, but there, I learned many wonderful things, and I even met my wife there. So I, it was all worth the price. But in terms of the writing program, what so many writing programs are, are focused on is on issues of voice and of symbolism and of metaphor and um, style, which are all enormously important and significant. Um, but if the story isn't happening, um, people aren't interested in turning the pages. And so... One of the things that it took me a long time to learn, and I think um, you know, I encourage other uh, writers to explore, is really mastering the craft of story and plot. Because, and this is really what film has done so marvelously. I mean, f film is fundamentally about uh, it's action, right? That's what it is. It's all about action. And um, you see, we in the publishing world, we have this terrible bifurcation in our minds between literary fiction, which is supposedly all about character and symbolism, and, and then we have commercial fiction, which is supposedly all about plot. Um, my, um, I think this is a terrible disservice to both worlds of literary and commercial fiction because you end up having flat characters who do a lot of things or really rich characters who do, don't do very much. Um, and I think the goal for, for writers and what I um, try to share with those uh, writers that I'm um, sharing my experience with and what I aspire to in my fiction is page-turning, dramatic, exciting stories that have deep, rich characters that grow, that explore ideas that linger with readers long after they've thrown the book on the beach blanket. And um, that, I think, is, is what we should be aspiring to as storytellers um, because ultimately I think we need our stories. We're, we are fundamentally, as a species, story dwellers. And so we live in story. And so the, the depth of our stories uh, relate, directly corresponds with the richness of our human imagination. And, and I think we need both of those qualities. 
Well, let's presume that our our imaginary writer out there, yes. we're telling his story. He he's finished he's finished his book and he he's gone through his his plot doctors and he's got something that he's pretty happy with. Yeah. Uh, what's the next step? Well, the next step is to get an agent. Um, and um, the good news is that there are there are actually more agents now than there ever have been because there were so many people who actually were let off when publishing. All the publishing companies got bought out by uh, the big conglomerates, and there are a lot of people who are downsized and became agents. Um, and so it's actually, uh, you know, if you write a, a – one of the things I, I want to say to writers is that one of my teachers, Robert McKee, who's a brilliant story teacher, and, and um, if uh, writers should definitely get his book, which is called Story. It's, a, it's a, just a, one of the best books on writing I've ever encountered. And um, – one of the things he says is if you have a if you write a great story you'll have the whole world knocking on your door and you know i, I can't speak for all everyone's experience and um and this is not by way of bragging but certainly um the experience of being published in 30 languages has has borne out his what his advice to me and to others and i think that um if you do write a great story you'll have agents who are dying to publish uh your book i think and that will put you in the position of being able to be selective in choosing an agent. And I think one of the mistakes that authors make is they, they, they'll take anybody as an agent because they're just so you know, eager to, to, to publish. But actually, what I would recommend is that, these, that writers go to this website uh, called publishersmarketplace.com where you can actually type in fiction or, or some assay. If you're writing memoir, you can write, type in memoir in the deal uh, part of this uh, website, and you can see all the deals that have been done in the publishing industry for the last several years, and you can see which agents publish books like yours. And what that allows you to do is then to intelligently approach uh, agents who really live to publish what you are writing, and that's really what you want. If you're writing a humor novel, if you're writing a um, you know romance novel, if you're writing an adventure thriller, you want to find. A, an agent who lives and breathes their purpose on this earth is to agent books like yours. And then if you approach them, you're much more likely to, to get a positive response. And one of the things I'd, I'd say is that your agent, and I have an amazing agent for my fiction, is really your closest person after your spouse. I mean, it, it's really like a marriage. And so, you know, it, it, it be really careful who you get into bed with and really find someone who both loves your work, who returns your phone calls. You know, there's so many horror stories about agents who just don't have the time or day for their for authors. And there's so many horror stories about publishers. And that's why um, it's really important to, to find people to play with who really are, um, are receptive and, and responsive and uh, want to play your game. When you're approaching an agent, you've got a list of people who you think might work for you. What do you send them? Uh, so it really depends on, from agent to agent what they want to see. But most uh, agents, yeah. First of all, I want to. I should say that um, when you're writing a novel, and certainly a first novel, uh, you want to finish the whole novel. Um, agents and editors don't want to see partial novels because it can be a fantastic 200 pages of a novel, and the last 100 or 200 pages can totally go flat. And so they, it's absolutely essential that you finish the whole. Um, then what you send them is generally a synopsis of the story and, and some kind of a sample of the first few pages. Most of them obviously don't have time to read everything and, you know, a, a full manuscript. But if they are excited by what they see, um, they will 
ask for the full manuscript. Could you talk about, um, if you've got an agent who's excited about your work, could you talk about the process of selling the novel to publishers? What does a writer do at that point? If once you've got an agent, are you just done? You can just sit back and wait for the phone calls and cash to roll in? <laughs> well, it's actually a, a, a period that is frustratingly difficult for the author to do anything. The one thing I would rec highly recommend is if the author has relationships with other published authors, especially successful ones, um, to see if they are willing to give them endorsements or read their manuscripts and give them a quote because that's very, very helpful. Um, publishers are just famously, uh, you know, publishing is a very difficult business because you're creating something new every single product that you create when they the, they don't we don't use the word product we use the word book but every every you know it's you're not doing uh microsoft word you know 7.8 you're doing something totally unique that might have some um some cognate out there in in the universe of something that's been written or done before but you'd have never no idea how it's going to do um you can only guess or assume that other things have done well that are similar and so the more you can get other people who are successful in this field, so if you're writing, for example, a thriller, other thriller writers to tell you, to say that this book is a really great read and a great thriller, uh, it just helps um, everything. It helps the editors get excited about it. It helps the readers ultimately get excited about it. Um, this is one of the things that uh, I think a mistake that a lot of uh, writers and publishers make is they wait till the very end till they have galleys to get quotes from authors, and it's often too late even to get them on the jacket sometimes. Um, and certainly uh, it, 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 when you get those quotes early, it can help everybody in the house, including the sales departments, get excited about a book. Um, so that's the one thing I think authors can do. But largely, they need to trust their agents. Um, I know that their agents, if they've chosen well, are doing everything they can to try to, to sell the book. Um, what we might talk about next is what happens after publication, which is that's when the author really does uh, go into gear. Um, shall we discuss that? Yeah, tell me, tell me what your book gets published. You're a happy guy. Yeah. What happens? Uh, well, you know, one of the things that's really essential is, um, I mean, I, I think so during the, the the time that your agent is uh, selling the book, rest up, because when the book is published and you're out, you know. There's something about writing which is very introverted, and promoting a book is totally extroverted. And honestly, one of the things that a lot of um, uh, that is said a lot these days is that writing the book is only half the the work. Promoting the book is equally half. And you know, I um, I published the hardback last year of Don Juan. Uh, the Lost Diary of Don Juan paperback is just publishing now. It's been it's several years of, of promotion that I've been doing. Uh, and, it, it, you know, actually, the more promotion you do, it means the better the book is doing. And, you know, I went on a European book tour, which is sounds glamorous, and it was, and it was incredible. And I led, you know, Spanish journalists all around Sevilla. It was an incredible dream come true. And at the same time, it's an enormous amount of work, and especially when you're trying to write more. So I think the advice there is um, just to recognize when you're getting into the business of, of fiction that uh, half the struggle is to, to birth the baby and half the struggle is to grow the baby up. And uh, that's the promotion. And, and really, ultimately, uh, whether you're published in 30 languages or one language, um, it's all about uh, one reader at a time. It's all about one reader falling in love with a story and telling other readers. And that's a complete word of mouth process that takes time to build. 
you know, it, it strikes me that there's an, a really uneasy relationship between the hard-headed businessmen who are running these things, uh -huh. companies, and the artists who are trying to just do a, a piece of art that really connects with people. And could you talk about that, how those two help one another and maybe sometimes hurt one another? Well, what I would say about my colleagues that I encountered in publishing is that um, everybody who works in the publishing business loves books. Um, I mean, there really are not many bean counters in the publishing industry. Um, you know, it's not that there aren't finance people in the, in the publishing industry, but even the finance people love books and get excited about books. Uh, there are lots of industries where you can make more money than working in publishing. And so uh, what I can say for publishers, uh, and I know a lot of them, is that their heart and, and soul is in the right place. It's a difficult industry. It's a hard industry to make money. There are a lot of pressures in corporate publishing. Um, so I think that characterization, which, you know, you're, it's, it's, it's quite prevalent, and I appreciate you bringing that up, is... Um, it does a disservice to publishers. I think what uh, writers can do is to the more they understand about the business and the more they understand about the art they are trying to create, I think ultimately what they can do is marry the two together. It's really ultimately about finding a way to express what is in your soul to, to say with what the culture is able to hear. And I have to ask you, do you have a website? I, um, yes, the uh, uh, Lost Diary of Don Juan website is lostdiaryofdonjuan.com. And I also have a blog at douglascarltonabrams.com. And how does that help you? Do you get, does that really feed your publicity a lot, or is it just uh, more of a byline, or is it required reading, so to speak? Uh, well, it, it is essential for authors to have websites. Um, there's, uh, there is, if we can have a whole other program, I'm sure, on internet promotion and the value of it for, um, for books. It's a really important new pioneering area um, and an area where the author can, can have an important role. Um, so it is essential to have one, um, but ultimately, as anyone knows in the web world, that you can't just build it and they will come. You have to figure out, uh, you have to share with them your work and, uh, and beat the bushes, and, and uh, it's an important part of the process. We've been speaking with Doug Abrams. His new book is The Lost Diary of Don Juan. Thank you for joining me, Doug. My pleasure, Ray. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.